Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. Hey, y'all. Good morning. How how many is glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Well, obviously, I'm not Pastor Strickland. Uh, He is still away on his well-deserved vacation, um, his um, 50th anniversary cruise that he had to take two years late because of COVID. So we're just so glad that he gets gets a a chance to take a little time off. Amen? Amen. So for those who don't know me, I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm the... um, uh, I almost said youth pastor. <laughs> I'm the former youth pastor. They replaced me with somebody better, my wife. And uh, they moved me to be, I'm the online campus pastor. I, that just means I'm the staff geek. So I'm the, I'm the nerdy guy doing all the nerdy stuff. So hey, y'all, I'm glad to see you. Um, so I, I do want to give, before I, I jump too far into this, I want to give a special invitation to those, uh, our, our on-campus folks. We're having our God and Country picnic in two weeks on July 3rd. So you're invited to stay after service in two weeks for a cookout. We're going to be cooking all the normal cookout stuff, and we're going to have water games for the kids and a cornhole tournament and all kinds of fun stuff. Just come hang out with us as part of our church family. That's what families do, right? So come join us uh, after service um, on, in two weeks. July the third. That's two weeks, right? Two weeks. Okay. I have to. I got to check. Two weeks from today. Thank you, brother. All right. Um, happy Father's Day. Can we give a round of applause to all the dads in the house? Um, just a side note has nothing to do with my message this morning. I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the moms out there who are doing double duty. The moms, the grandmas, the aunties. Come on, give them a hand. We've got a lot of single moms who are, um, they're tough as nails. They're doing a job of two people. So I just, I give honor to that. Uh, any single parent, you're a rock star. So I give honor to you today. Uh, would you have a photo booth in the lobby? Make sure you st- stop by and take a photo booth with, uh, or take a photo with, your, with your, your family, your father, your friends, whoever. It's there for anybody. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me. And you should have your Bibles. Bring your Bibles to church. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Those of you that use the YouVersion Bible app, we do have an event set up um, that's got all of of my scriptures today already set up and loaded, oeg.church, and um, there's a YouVersion drop down there. It's all there, ready to go. Those of you that have your physical Bibles, I hear the pages turning. Praise the Lord. Uh, just hold it there, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, hold it there for a second. I just got to say for a second, I'm thankful for all the godly men who are in and have been in my life. Amen. I've been fortunate to have some amazing men in my life who have shown me and guided me to what it takes to be a man in this world. And I'm very thankful. But may, make no mistake about it, manhood is under attack. Manhood is under attack. There are now concerted efforts to erode the definitions of what it means to be a man and a woman. I think there's more than two genders now, several of them. Not sure how that works. People can be non-binary or they can choose a different gender each day of the week if they want to. That's not new information and like the rest of you, I'm deeply concerned about what I see happening. Um, And not only that, there's the continuously growing problem of pornography. The porn industry is now worth billions and continues to grow. And if you were to have an honest conversation with any man in the church or outside of it, it, they'll tell you 
if you would have an honest conversation, they'll tell you it has been or still is a problem for them. It's a problem. At this point, I wouldn't believe any man that's never said that they've never seen it. It's too easy to get. And it doesn't seem to be a concern to our legislators that it's one of the biggest contributors to human trafficking and modern-day slavery. Uh, but that's, that's, a, that's a sermon for another time. But that is a problem. Manhood is under attack. Culture is redefining genders and their roles, but it's, but it's worse than you think. And I intend to show you this morning how culture has done more to distort what it means to be a godly man than you probably realize. So if you're ready to get into this, touch your neighbor and say, let's go. For those of you watching online, drop a uh, let's go in the comments. I want to say hi to my friends online, by the way. Hey, guys, um, uh, just to name a few, Miss Francis is watching. Uh, Dave is out of town. He's watching this morning. Skylar's sick, so she's at home watching. So I just, I'm thankful for our friends that we have watching online. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Let's pray and get into this. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, God, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, that it's already anointed. I just pray, Lord, that you would anoint me now. Anoint me to deliver your word as you've put it on my heart today, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. All right, and so today, I want to share with you what it takes to be a man. That's right, this guy. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm going to tell you what it takes to be a man, and, and, and I already hear you. I can hear you saying, this guy, right? This guy is going to tell me what it takes to be a man? How could he possibly know? Look at him. I hear you. You're laughing like you ain't thinking it, but you're thinking, I know what you're thinking. And I get it. I mean, look at these arms. Look how skinny they are. I can wrap my fingers around my biceps. And it's not because they're big fingers. Look how tiny my hands are. Um, I used to be a jeweler. And I know that goes a long way towards my macho persona. <laughs> I used to be a jeweler, and I had my own wedding ring sized, and it's the smallest man's ring I've ever sized, ever. And I've sized a lot of fingers. Um, my wife and I can just about share rings. So, um, so I get it. And yes, I'm really, really, really pasty white. I know that because I don't like the sun. I avoid the sun at all costs. I wear like SBF 300 sunblock. Goes on like a sweater. <laughs> Do you know how fast I burn? In a word, immediately. <laughs> That's how fast I burn. I go out in the sun, sunburn. Uh, one of my favorite uh, seasons, anybody ever watch Survivor? I'm a Survivor fan, I watch Survivor. One of my favorite seasons was a guy, is a guy named Cochran, and like the first uh, event they took him to, he, he was already sunburned, and they asked him, how, how fast did you sunburn? And he said, immediately, and I was like, yeah, bro, I feel you. <laughs> I know how that goes. Uh, I try to stay inside as much as possible. I mean, I prefer being inside anyway. I, I, I can't live without AC and 5G. <laughs> I'd be lost without my, my MacBook in front of me or my phone. You ask anybody, I leave my phone behind and the color drains from my face and I just go into a panic. Where's my phone? It's like somebody removed a limb when I forget my phone and I can't find I do the pat down, you know, that everybody does. Look in my pocket. Oh, got it. There it is. Uh, I'd be lost without my phone. The idea of roughing it involves an RV and a really good air conditioner. Um, I bet y'all didn't know I was a Boy Scout for a few years. That was a terrible Boy Scout. <laughs> that was awful. Um, 
The only reason I went is because my stepfather always went. He was a, he was a manly man, and he could do stuff, um, like build the tent and the fire, and they let me sleep in and hang out, and I got to be a Boy Scout. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I didn't like it. I, I hated being all in the woods and with all the bugs and snakes and smelly mud. You know mud smells? I wasn't blessed with a particularly manly voice either. <clears throat> I still get ma'am through the drive-thru. I don't even correct them anymore. I just go with it, whatever. Sometimes I don't even hear it. I don't like working on cars and doing handyman type stuff, building stuff. I was able to watch some YouTube videos and figure out how to change the elect electrical receptacles in, in, in my house without dying. So I got that going for me. I'm still alive. Um, I don't like guns. I'm, I'm not against them. So those of you that are carrying this morning, and I know you're out there, just keep them holstered, please. Um, I'm not against them. Second Amendment, hoorah, go, go, go for you. Um, I killed a bird with a BB gun when I was little and felt horrible about it and haven't touched a gun since, pretty much. Sorry. Um, so naturally, I'm not into hunting. <laughs> kind of a prerequisite, I think. Uh, I don't like fishing either. It's so boring. I can think of so many better things to do than stand around and wait for a fish to bite. It's so boring. I could be playing a game on my phone. Besides, if I caught a fish, I'd have to, you know, touch it. I don't like touching slimy things. I don't like working out either. I did work out once. I didn't like it. I'm horrible at sports. I mean, obviously. <laughs> I like watching sports. I like football. I, I really like football. Do you know why I, I really like football? Um, I grew up with sports. I was horrible at it, but I did grow up playing with my cousins and stuff, sports, so I know how they work. I know the rules and how to play them and stuff. Um, and I've always liked, I grew up in Alabama, so I like the University of Alabama, Roll Tide, and yeah, whatever. Um, we can take it. But one of the reasons that I really get into to college football is because I got nothing else to talk about with men. So I just kind of embraced it. It's, it's the, I, I, I keep up with it a lot. I watch it a lot. I, I read the commentaries and, and, and listen to the, the podcasts and read the blogs and stuff. So I have something intelligent to talk about with men. That's why I do that. Um, I really dislike working in the yard. It's hot. If you could see me up close, I have a bit of a shiner today. I have a small black eye and a bruise on my nose. Would you like to know why? We had, yeah, some of y'all know. We had some limbs trimmed from our, uh, the tree around our house this week, and I was dragging them to a new location in the yard and managed to whack myself in the face. All this stuff is awful. I don't enjoy any of that stuff. Um, that's not to say I haven't learned to do some of those things. I know how to go fishing. I know how to put a wiggler on a hook. Okay, I grew up in the woods. I know how to do these things, but I don't enjoy it, especially now that I'm a homeowner and I'm too cheap to pay people to do stuff. So I, I have learned to do some things, but it's not fun for me. So how can I possibly tell you what it takes to be a man? Well, you do, know, do you know what I do have? God's word. I got the Bible. And so um, out of 
obvious necessity, um, I searched God's word to see what it takes to be a man, a godly man. And lo and behold, none of the things I just mentioned is in there about being a godly man. I mean, yes, there's stories of, of hunting and fishing and camping and building and maintaining stuff and working with animals and, and, and stuff like that that you find in the Bible, but none of it is connected to being a godly man. The Bible doesn't say these are the things you must do and know how to do to be a godly man. There were no compu computer programmers or graphic designers or website builders back then, so they don't talk about that in the Bible. But if there were, perhaps it'd be different. Do you know what is in the Bible? God's love. Love is in the Bible. Love is in the Bible. Touch your neighbor and say love. If you're watching online, put love in the comments. Love is in the Bible. And I'm not just talking about romantic love or sexual love or familial love. I'm talking about unconditional, perfect love. God's love over and over and over again. That's what's in the Bible. That's what's in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, if you have it, say amen. Drop down to verse 13. I'm going to read 13 and 14. It says this, Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. The men's razor company, Gillette. You guys know the company, Gillette. They released an ad in early 2019 that encouraged men to embrace a healthier masculinity by attacking some elements of toxic masculinity, which includes bullying, harassment, and boys will be boys fighting. And it created a storm of controversy as those who perceived the ad as a, an attack on manhood and they pushed back. But toxic masculinity doesn't mean that all masculinity is toxic. It does exist. But it doesn't mean that all masculinity is toxic. Originally coined by the, the, the mythopoetic men's movement of the 80s and 90s, it refers to the common male stereotype that promotes aggressive behavior, dominance over others, and stunted emotions. Social science studies have shown that these behaviors are harmful not only to their relationship with women, but also to the men themselves, partly contributing to health risks such as depression, substance abuse, higher risks of coronary and pulmonary diseases, and suicidal tendencies. And these are the things that that ad was addressing. And it was surprising me to see the pushback that that ad got. Was it the attack on the boys, the will be boys, that, that triggered so many people? Um, was it people reacting to the feeling that men aren't allowed to be real men anymore? Is that what's going on? Social scientists explain our culture's boy code with four major themes. Social scientists Four, four major things. Number one, no sissy stuff. It says that, no sissy stuff. Number two, be a sturdy oak. Number three, be dominating. And number four, be a big wheel. Now, what do those mean? No sissy stuff means boys must avoid anything remotely close to being feminine, from girls' toys to vulnerable states such as crying, showing distress, or asking for help, lest they become targets for shaming. That's what that means, no sissy stuff. Second thing was be a sturdy oak. Men are expected to be stoic and self-reliant. If you can't get yourself out of, out of trouble, then at least take it like a man. You guys got quiet. The problem is that it trains boys and men to be emotionally constipated. 
They don't know how to express their emotions in healthy ways or how to deal with them without suppressing them, causing long-term psychological and emotional issues. The only emotion that boys are allowed to express freely often is anger. What could possibly go wrong with that? The third thing was be dominating, which generally means violence. Violence is often portrayed as a natural solution to problems and conflicts. Popular media, uh, including video games, often portray and encourage this in today's, in today's world. The, boy me, uh, the boys will be boys gives boys the message that it's okay for them to lose their temper and act violently. Does this contribute partly to domestic violence later in life? Finally, they're told that they need to become a big wheel. A big wheel. This means success. The alpha male in the tribe gaining status and honor among their peers. The typical route to this for young men is through success in sports or attracting girls or both. Later in life, it often means getting a high-paying job or one that gets you fame or fortune or in today's world of social media, followers. Of course, not every man can be an alpha male. Not every man can be an alpha male. Boys are therefore constantly competing to outdo one another to gain status and honor. Their manhood is wrapped up in a pursuit of success and a life that revolves around performance rather than grace. In this scheme, failure is going to be more terrifying because failure means you're not a man. What happens when you inevitably grow old and weaker? Because time waits for no man, right? Right? We're all going to get older and weaker. Does that mean you're no longer a man? What, what about those who have disabilities? Those who are in, in a lower economic class. Those that are in marginalized ethnic groups or in third world countries. Uh, does, does this present a real barrier to become a man? Are these people not men? Is that what that means? Sadly, sadly, in American churches, you often can't find an alternative to this vain portrait of masculinity, but instead we have co-opted it. We've adopted this portrait of it. If you're not athletic, you're not a man. If you can't shoot a gun, you're not a man. If you're not dating or married, you're not a man. If you enjoy music or art more than weightlifting, turn in your man card. That's the message of the Christian masculinity movement. When Christians casually throw around loaded terms like real masculinity in ways that reinforce rather than rebut secular formulas, we have oversimplified a nuanced concept that's best expressed through eternal values rather than worldly ambitions. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Now look, folks, I get it, because you guys got really quiet, and I know that this is probably upsetting a few of you. I get it. Our liberal culture has hijacked the gender definitions into something immoral and ungodly. I get that. Um, that's, that's what the enemy does. That's what the enemy does. I'm not making excuses for sinful perversions. The enemy has no new concepts. He has, he's not creative. He has nothing new on his own. So that's what he does is he takes what God made pure and beautiful and clean and he perverts it into something that it wasn't. That's what he does. That's his whole scheme. So I'm not making excuses for those sinful perversions, but what has happened is that those who have felt attacked 
have attacked back. We've pushed back. In an effort to be countercultural, the church has pushed back, and we've pushed the definition back to the opposite extreme and demand that in order to be godly, we cannot be the effeminate man that pop culture has made the norm. It's not possible. You must be manly because pop culture and, and, and the enemy has made it something it's not. So you, you have to be th- that thing. We must be manly men who loves all those things that I mentioned earlier. That seems to be what the church has co-opted it into be. But the problem is those are also cultural definitions of manhood and they are not biblical. You guys are quiet. Surely we are not left with just two options either real, hyper-masculine men or effeminate men. One extreme or the other. other. Is there nothing in the middle? Is there, is, is there nothing there? Is that the only two options? A man who is loving, kind and joyful, gentle and peace-loving, faithful and good-hearted, patient and able to control his anger, is that man not a real man? Because in studies shown that um, uh, according to social tests, most men, and, and this is in the church, most men would label those as more feminine than masculine. But that's a problem because what I just listed was the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 tells us exactly what those are. Galatians 5, and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So since the fruit of the Spirit is what God expects all Christ followers, men and women, to exhibit in their lives, it must be how God intends all men, all real men to be as well. The problem lies not with the spirit, but our culture's stereotypes of masculinity and femininity. We have accepted the lie about masculinity for so long that boys will be boys that we think it's the truth. And it's time that we lay some of the blame for the gender confusion of our culture at the feet of the church. Notice I didn't say all of it because, as I said earlier, the enemy has truly been at work. I'm not saying all of it. The enemy has perverted everything that God has created to be good. But we, the church, we have to take responsibility for defining masculinity in non-biblical terms and causing generations of men to be confused about their gender and potentially causing men to walk away from the church. We have to take responsibility for that. The popular Christian notions of manhood, they shame and repel and ruin far too many young men and boys who fail to meet those standards and do not possess the the typical dispositions toward the typical masculine behaviors. Rather than push them into a wholesale rejection of the male archetype, we uh, we should be calling them to virtuous and, yes, manly aspirations of the fruit of the Spirit, the humility, service, kindness, and wisdom that the Bible portrays as godly attributes. Maybe today's Christian men should focus less on acting like men and more on acting like Christians. Surely this includes speaking uh, about gender in ways that are loving and helpful, nuanced, and biblical. We owe this much to our boys in our schoolyards, in our ministries, in our homes. We owe that to them. We owe it to show them that you don't have to be this culture-defined role of masculine. So if we redefine masculinity in this way, what does that mean? What does that mean? What example do we give them? Well, the perfect example, Jesus. 
Come on, that's a good place to say amen. Jesus is our perfect example. Drop Jesus in the comments if you're watching online. Jesus is our examples. Although Jesus is a role model for men and Christian alike, the fact that he was male will, should give us some insight to how a Christian man should behave. Remember the, the boy code that I talked about earlier? That probably existed. In fact, we know it did in some form or fashion back in the first century world that Jesus lived in. Those four attributes of, uh, of the boy code that we mentioned earlier, no sissy stuff, the be a sturdy oak, be dominating, be a big wheel those things existed back then did Jesus avoid all things sissy sissy Jesus certainly wasn't afraid to show vulnerable emotions he openly wept in public in Luke chapter 19 he was comfortable in the company of women allowing them to follow his travels in fact he even received financial support from women as it shows in Luke chapter 8 they paid his bills some of his parables about baking with yeast, looking for a lost coin, and virgins at a wedding indicate a familiarity with women's everyday life. That was a no-no back then. Jesus even praised Mary for bucking the traditionally women's role of preparing and serving food. Instead, she chose to sit and learn at the feet of Jesus among the male disciples, which again was no-no back then. Yet Jesus praised her for these actions in Luke chapter 10. He welcomed little children when most men didn't have time for them. Men didn't have time. That was a woman's job back then. But he welcomed the children to him in Mark chapter 10. Jesus never seemed obsessed with fame or success. That was never his motivator. In fact, he taught his male disciples, who if you remember, they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember that? They were jockeying for position. And he told them that true greatness lies in humility and service in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus never married, never dated, never was with a woman, and which was an important step back then to gaining first century alpha male status. And of course, dying a criminal's shameful death by crucifixion on the cross ruined any chance that he had to be a big wheel. In a violent and vengeful era, Jesus taught people to turn the other cheek. He taught them to love their enemies in Matthew chapter 5 and to put away the, the sword in John chapter 18. Many think that Jesus' cleansing of the temple was a display of manly anger and violence. We, we get this image of the scene where Jesus uh, cleansed the temple and he, he tossed over some tables and drove people out with a whip. He was driving out the, 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 the money changers and we get this image of a violent, rageful person who just flew off the handle and lost his mind. That's the image that I was taught when I was little and it's wrong. Here's why. Here's why. Mark's account shows that Jesus actually went into the temple and looked around at everything the day before. He went in and looked around and then returning the next day, Mark chapter 11, returned the next day to drive out the money changers and, and merchants. He reflected overnight on what he saw in the temple and he decided on a plan of action. It was not as, as often imagined a, a, a spur of the moment violent rage. It was a calculated public protest. A righteous anger does not mean that you're violent. There's never an excuse for that. It was a calculated public protest. We can't use this one instance, this one, this one story as a license for a man to fly off the handle, or for anybody for that matter. Jesus didn't seem to easily fit into either his ancient cultures uh, or our modern cultures boy code of honor. He didn't fit that mold back then. He doesn't today. 
Instead of shaping our boys according to culture's boy code, we need to be diligently shaping them according to the fruit of the Spirit. That's the spiritual code, which we know from Scripture is God's will for us. That's our spiritual goal, to be Christ-like men and women. We must recover the idea that the marker of a true man is his moral strength and not his, his physical fitness. I'm going to say that again. It's good. We must recover the idea that the marker of a true man is his moral strength and not his physical fitness. Remember the scripture I read at the beginning? I'm going to read it again, and they're going to put it on the screen. And let's read it again in the light of all that I've just spoken. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 through 14. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Yes, as men, we are called to be strong, but it's an inner strength, a strength of faith in Jesus, which extends outward as love. That's what scripture tells us. If I've learned nothing else from trying to understand the Old Testament, and if you ever dive into the Old Testament, and, and, and it's fantastic, by the way, the Old Testament is so good, it's, it's so rich, and if I've tried to wrap my brain around it for years, and if I've learned nothing else from it, I've learned uh, that I can't do it on my own. I'm not strong enough. But we don't have to be, because Jesus makes us strong enough. He is the, the ultimate spiritual goal, the one that we need to be looking up to, the, the example of a godly man. This is a godly man. This is it right here. This is how to be a man. Church, even when men aren't the super masculine type, even when they prefer the arts, fashion, electronics, they can still be godly men according to the Bible. And the men out there who have felt left out who have felt ridiculed, ostracized from the faith, from a God who made you the way you are, if you've ever felt out because of the inaccurate definitions of masculinity, you find your identity in Jesus. That goes for everybody. We find our identity in Jesus and we grow the fruit of the Spirit. And to take it a step further, since this is Father's Day, this is what we must teach our children. We must be intentional to teach our children to be like Christ and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. The rest will follow. The perversions of the enemy are useless when you're working with Christ, when you're walking with Christ, becoming more like him. The perversions of the enemy don't stand a chance when you walk with Christ, when you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, when you have a daily relationship with him, the perversions, they won't have a place when you walk with Jesus. Musicians, will you come to the platform, please? Gator, I need you and all the men here to understand that I'm not coming after masculine men. That's good for you. I'm not saying any of those things are wrong. So Gator, don't stop doing what you're doing with the men. I don't show up very often to men's ministries because that's not me. And that has nothing to do with what you're doing. It's something, something that Pastor Strickland teaches us, um, and it's, it's, it, I've had to learn it, <laughs> is that we don't do ministry by dividing. Just because his ministry doesn't reach me, it doesn't mean we should stop it. It just means we need more. That ministry still needs to exist. And so guys, I'm not coming after you for being masculine. That's great. You do you. God made you that way. He made me this way. 
I remember, I remember the first time that someone called me gay. I remember who said it. I remember how he said it. And I remember the message that he intended to convey. This, of course, was back in the 80s and 90s um, before the homosexual movement had gained so much steam and it was in its infancy and it was more taboo back then. But for two fifth graders playing at recess, I don't, I don't think he was making a commentary about my sexuality, but it was a, it was a, a, a barb, a, a cut, a jab at me for my apparent ungodly lack of masculinity. I mean, don't get me wrong. Nobody was going to mistake me for the next coming of Arnold Schwarzenegger. Nobody was going to mistake me for being that guy. Nobody was ever going to think that. But back then, I was weak and unathletic and generally disinterested in matters that captivated most boys my age. Thank goodness I grew out of that. Apparently, this shortage of manly attributes amounted to a crime against my gender and against God. Folks, I'm going to be real honest with you today, and I've struggled with this. I've had a lot of anxiety this week trying to come to terms with sharing this, but this is what God put on my heart. So here goes. Most of you already know or have heard me speak before of how I struggle with self-esteem. Most days it hovers somewhere close to the ground. It's been a struggle all my life. Even as a child, I struggled with being the smallest child in my class. Up until I was in 10th grade, I was the smallest kid in my class. Uh, in 10th grade, I grew a couple of inches and I wasn't the shortest anymore, but I've never been that big. I was bullied like crazy, often thrown into trash cans or stuffed into a locker. One bully thought it was hilarious to, to dead leg me every day as I was standing by my locker freshman year. If you don't know what a dead leg is, that's when you take your, your knee and drive it to somebody's thigh. It hurts. And laying on the ground crying in front of all your peers is humiliating. I never had a girlfriend in high school as I was never considered boyfriend material. In fact, most of my time at high school, I was just one of the girls. I usually spent more, more time with them than I did the boys because I got along with them better. They, they told me things. They shared their secrets with me because I was safe. I've always been physically weak, allergic to the sun, and terrified of spiders. All the things I mentioned at the top of my sermon, I said jokingly, but truth be told, it was all of those things that made me feel that I wasn't a man. So much so that I began to doubt that I was. Maybe, maybe I was supposed to be born female. It would explain a lot, it seemed. For a brief period of time, I almost embraced that lifestyle. After all, I'd never measure up to the culture's standards of being a man, so what was the point? But as I got a little older, I discovered some things. First off, I was clearly more attracted to the female form than the male form. Second, I had some amazing, amazing men in my life that helped me. My father, my stepfather, my second stepfather, my pastor, my youth pastor, other godly men, these are all men that I look up to. These men never made me feel less than. They made me feel like I was who I was. 
And lastly, and I think this is most important, all the biblical teachings I grew up with, all the Sunday school classes, kids' church activities, and services every single week. Y'all, I had a drug problem when I was growing up. I was drugged to church every single time the doors were open. <laughs> so all of those teachings took root in my heart. They, they, I may not have been paying that much attention at the time. It was things that I heard over and over and over again. But after a while, they started to become real to me. They started to become real to me. They became alive to me as I discovered who Jesus really was. When I submitted my life fully to him and began to build an actual relationship with Jesus, I started to see myself for who he made me to be rather than what society told me I was, rather than what some church people told me I was. And then I fell in love with and married an amazing young woman who daily encourages me. She reminds me how much God loves me every day. And then God gave me two beautiful, somewhat poorly behaved children. <laughs> and I began to understand the kind of a love that a father has for his children. I began to understand the kind of love that God has for me, my heavenly father has for me. And my traditionally low self-esteem began to rise a little bit. I may not be all the way there yet, but I know what a godly man looks like because of the Bible. I wanna be careful to point out that all those things, the fishing and, and hunting and building stuff, they're not wrong or immoral, like I said before, but I'm just pointing out that we can't expect every boy to love all those things if they want to be a godly man. That's not biblical. This is what I want you to take away from this message today. Being a godly man means first being godly being Christ-like. That's what the word Christian means, right? This means walking in the Spirit and growing in the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I want you to take away from this message today. That's what it takes to be a man. Men, it's time to man up in a biblical sense. It's time we grow in the fruit of the Spirit. And ladies, it's honestly the same for you. It's the same fruit. Would you bow your heads this morning? Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful that it's the truth and that we can count on it. We can go to it. It's our single source of truth. It's not, it's not questionable. It's, it is the, the truth. And I'm so thankful that we have that guiding light, that guiding principle, and we can, we can go to it to find the true measure of a man. I'm, I'm thankful that you made me the way that I am. I'm thankful that you've, that I'm thankful that you've helped me see what a real man is. I'm thankful for the men that have surrounded me and shown me what a real man is. God, I thank you for being so good to me. But Lord, there's people who have suffered at the hands of, a, of an inaccurate cultural description of what a man is. Lord, I pray for each and every one of them today. I pray that they would begin to find their identity in Jesus. Lord, that they'd find their identity in you and they'd measure themselves against the standard that you set in the Bible, in your word, God. Now, if you're here this morning and I'm gonna open up the altars, that's what I'm gonna do. 
The altar is a place, if, if you don't know what that is, that's these things down front, but an altar can be anywhere. It can be these things, or it can be your chair, it can be at home, whatever. But I'm gonna open this area up. And if you need prayer for anything, maybe you've struggled with masculinity like I have. Maybe you've been on the other side of it and been too, too masculine. Maybe you have done some damage to some boys through an inaccurate description of masculinity. Maybe you need a healing in your body. Maybe you want to come to, to, to salvation. Maybe you want to know who Jesus is and you want, to, you want to enter into a relationship with him. These altars are open this morning. So I'm going to count to three just to make it simple so not everybody's waiting. When do I get up? Okay, I'm going to count to three. And if you need prayer this morning, there's prayer warriors that, that are here and they will meet you here. They will pray with you. They will love you. They will, they will show you the truth that God's word has. So on the count of three, if you need prayer for any of those things that I just said, they're going to sing while we, while we do that. On the count of three, one, two, three. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do, to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.